Hello, my name is Scott, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you, choir, for leading us in worship. Uh, thank you, Taylor, for inviting us here. Um, I didn't bring my entire family. I know you need to pray for me because he listed all the ages, and I heard an audible gasp in the room. So we don't get much sleep. But actually, tomorrow, my wife and I are doing a marriage retreat in Rome, Georgia. And, uh, but it's four nights away from our kids. My mother and father-in-law drove in from Texas last night to Birmingham, and so that's why they couldn't be here. And uh, we get our first non-children consecutive nights since this guy was born. So it's been quite a long time uh, since 2014, so we're grateful for that. Um, but today we're here, uh, Wilt and I, to represent the International Mission Board. We're so thankful for the goal that you and your church have set uh, to get $100,000 to the International Mission Board. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about who the International Mission Board is and what our stance is. Sorry, I'm getting a little feedback, my bad. So um, what, what I want to first start off with is this is our tagline, Reaching the Nations Together. I think in the past, what we have seen is that occasionally people think of the IMB as give us your money, give us your best people, and then you can stay out of it. We'll take it from here. But that's not what we want to communicate. That is not what we want churches to think of the International Mission Board. Um, let me go through what we do believe. So this is our vision statement. It is uh, op uh, This is from Scripture. We don't have the luxury of just kind of creating our own vision statement. This is from Scripture in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. So we want to see a multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think you can agree with me that this, uh, this is not true today, but by the vision that Christ laid out in Revelation, we know this will be true one day. And so we labor towards this end. This is what we want to see because there are many, many people, and we'll get into how many of them have never uh, had this be true amongst their people group. So uh, where do we work? We work in all different parts of the globe. Um, these just little presence points represent a work in that whole region. So any country that you could probably name, we might have somebody in those, but overall we have over 3,500 individuals so a couple would be two and a single would be one. So we have 3,500 adults spread around the world in many countries doing the work of getting the gospel and working towards that vision we just said. So um, why does the IMB exist? So uh, I'm going to take you through five slides to just kind of explain who the IMB is. First of all, there are many problems in the world. You could probably name a ton of them, but I want to present to you that the greatest problem in the world is lostness. Because everybody is following someone. You're following someone, and you're going to go where that person is going. Understand? So whoever you're following, you will keep following them. The only person that we can follow with any sort of certainty is Jesus Christ. That is the only one. We cannot go down any other path. And so the people who are lost in this world, as Jesus said, he looked out and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on, upon them. So the only solution to this greatest problem is the gospel. That Jesus came, that he fulfilled all of history, his life, death, and resurrection overcame our sin problem. And that there was evidence, he was, he was presented to so many people that this is absolutely true and it demands a response. But so many people have never had the opportunity to respond because they've never heard the gospel in their entire lives. They're following something else, and nobody's ever pointed them to the true path. So, 
through, this, through the uh, IMB, Southern Baptists send missionaries to the nations to share the gospel among all those people and places where Jesus is not named or known. This is what we call missionary presence. So what we think is that the biblical example of getting the gospel to the lost is that physical missionary presence. There's lots of stuff we can do, but if I wanted to get the gospel to, uh, depending on who you like, if I want to get the gospel to Opelika, Auburn, or if I want to get the gospel to Tuscaloosa, whoever you think needs to know the gospel the most, you, you can decide that, not me. Um, but we would say that you have to get there. You have to go and physically be present. And so that's what we want to do for so many places around the world. And so for Southern Baptists, the IMB is the mechanism for sending missionaries to the peoples and places where Jesus is not yet known. That's why you're giving money to this Lottie Moon offering. So I don't know if you know this, but Lottie Moon, you should look up a biography on her, biography on her and read about her. One thing that she is famously known for is that she's very short. She was very short. She was under five foot tall. Um, if you see a life-size cut out of her, you always think, no, this is not real. But it is real. But she was maybe small, but she was very, very large in her kingdom impact. So she went and lived in China during the Opium Wars and was just so faithful in what God had called her to do. And then she was the rallying cry for Southern Baptists to give money together and to pray. And this is why the WMU exists. So I'm going to give Cheryl a nice uh, promotion for tomorrow. We want you to show up to that WMU. You don't have to be a woman. Uh, you can show up to this and just support missionaries because that's what we need. We need champions of the missionary task in the local churches. So uh, what we want to see is more people sent out from Southern Baptist churches. But we don't want that to be um, only the missionaries who are sent out and the people that are part of the IMB. We see that we, our mission is to serve Southern Baptists in carrying out the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. So we don't want just your people and your money and then you get out of it. No, no, no. We want to be here because God has called you. God has called you, your church, First Baptist Church of Dothan, to make a kingdom impact, not just locally, but intentionally looking across the world to see where there are gaps, where there are lost people, and we want to put our resources and our, our power behind getting the gospel there through trips and, and physically being present there and maybe even partnering with, with missionaries on the field. That's what we think is the right way to look at it, that we want to be together with you reaching the nations. So uh, I do want to introduce you to my family. Um, so we do have these five wonderful children. Uh, here's a picture of us. Uh, our oldest is 11, but he's five foot two, five foot three. So uh, we, he's going to catch up to me pretty quick. Uh, then Wilt is in third grade, Liam is in first grade, and then Evie and Addie are our four and two-year-olds. Um, so this is why you should pray for us. And now for my in-laws for the next four days so that they can take care of them getting to all the school events and things like that. But we, um, we went on the field with no kids, and then God gave us all these children. Um, and I, this is just a point I want to say. Thank you for, as you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it supplies everything we need to be in that place where we are. So when, when my daughter, who's four right there with a big smile right at the bottom, when she was born not breathing in our city, uh, we had immediate medical attention, and she was in the NICU for two weeks, and who paid for that? It was Southern Baptists. 
So we're so thankful that, that we don't have to worry about how are we going to afford uh, medical care or, or schooling or if we have a meeting we got to get to or if we're pr- trying to do ministry and do trainings. We have the support of so many churches just like yours, and so we're thankful for that. Um, so I want to talk today about owning the Great Commission. Now, we all know what the Great Commission is. I'm not actually going to use the Great Commission text, but you know that we need to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach everywhere, and that Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. That's what we believe. But the reality is that uh, about six, seven years ago, they did a Gallup poll. Uh, Not a Gallup poll. What's the other? What's what's our poll? Uh, Lifeway? Yes, I think it's Lifeway or one of those. Barna, the Barna poll. And it was, if you believe the Great Commission is true, have you shared the gospel in the last six months was the question. And out of the people who believed, so this is only, if you say you don't believe that this is true and that this should be followed, then they didn't count your answer. But of those who believed, 71% had not shared the gospel one time in the previous six months. And 25% had shared it once or twice. So 96% had barely shared the gospel or not shared the gospel in the entire six months before they answered that survey question. So even if we do believe in the Great Commission, I want to talk to you today about owning the Great Commission, having uh, a responsibility that you're taking in the Great Commission. So I'm actually going to be in Romans. So Romans is many things. So if you read Romans, those first eight chapters are a treatise on our faith. In fact, they used to use Romans, uh, I think, in law schools, maybe like Harvard or Yale, because it was such an exact argument for what we believed, and so it was to be studied and just how articulate and focused it was in its presentation. But what else is Romans? Romans is written to a church that Paul has never been to. Did you ever realize that? He's never been to Rome. He's always been wanting to go there. And what does he hope that they do? Well, in the scripture we're going to read, he talks about, I hope to be, I hope to go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. So I think what we can see is that Romans is a missionary support letter as well. He is asking the church at Rome to support him in getting the gospel to a new place. So as we read this, I want you to read it with that eye, um, those eyes. So the, the part we're reading in Romans 15 is his, um, his summary of what he saw among the Gentiles. So the Gentiles is actually a word, that, ethne. So, so we take that word and we call ethnic. So there's a lot of different ethnic groups in the world. But what we see here is eth- ethne kind of usually just means non-Jewish people. And so he's talking about his work that he's done. And so as we read this, I think we'll be able to see how he describes what he's done and why he wants to go to this new place. And I think we're going to learn a lot from it. So we'll start here in verse 17 of Romans chapter 15. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation." But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So these, these verses that we just read, again, are Paul talking about what he has seen happen from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Illyricum is Croatia, so like right on the coast opposite of Italy. So he's talking about this large area, and what I want to do is talk about what missions is. So as we talk about Lottie Moon Christmas offering, as we talk about missions, I think if I had everyone in this room write down a definition of missions, we might have a lot of different definitions. So I want to answer the question, what did Paul mean by his definition of missions? What did he believe he was accomplishing? Because the word missions is not actually in the Bible. You know, there's not a Greek word where you go to it and say, oh, this is what we translate to, to mean missions. In fact, the word missions, according to J.D. Payne, who's a professor at Samford, and he's written a lot of missionary articles and books, he said it didn't actually start to get used until the 14-1500s until the Catholic Church started to use missions as they were going to the New World. So what does it mean to us, and why is it sometimes a little bit confusing? Um, I think that's because we, we have a lot of different uh, good plans and things that we want to do to expand the kingdom of God. But let's just hone in, and if you'll allow me, to just talk about what Paul is defining here. And then how can that definition help us and maybe inform the way that we do missions ourselves? So one thing is that he defines it in this. He talks about his, the ministry of the gospel. If you, said, if you look back, he said, I have fulfilled the, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So I just want to say that mission equals the ministry of the gospel. Um, according to what he's saying here. So as we, as we call the ministry of the gospel missions, according to Paul, let's dive into these scriptures. So I'm going to alliterate because I'm a, I went to a Southern Baptist seminary, and so we all have to alliterate. Um, the, the first part is that the foundation and fuel of missions is Jesus. So let's read that scripture. It says in the, in the, uh, in the yellow, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. So let's think about this. So he, he had done a lot, right? Let's think about the different things that Paul had done. He had been beaten into an inch of his life in, Illyr, uh, in Lystra, and then he got up. They thought he was dead, and he walked back in, and he kept proclaiming the gospel. Then he went to Derby. This is in his first missionary journey. The second missionary journey, he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit not to go to Ephesus, but to go to Macedonia. And then from Macedonia, we see a ringing out event so that when he writes the first Thessalonians... About a few months later from Corinth, he says that what, you know, in Thessalonica, they were really, like, persecuted a lot so that he was run out after three Sabbaths, and then they ran him out of Berea. But he wrote a letter, and he said, man, like, from what we started in Macedonia, it's rung out all throughout Macedonia and beyond. And then his third missionary journey, we see that he proclaimed the gospel there in Ephesus and the Hall of Tyrannus for two years, and it says everybody in all of Asia, probably about 700,000 to 1.5 million people had heard the gospel, so much so that we, we can find evidence for it in that following scripture in Acts 19, that people were uh, burning books worth so much silver, and that the, the silversmith uh, um, were so angry that, that he had turned people away from their Artemis man-made gods that they had a riot in Ephesus. So we know that this is true, but he's saying he will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished, and I think this speaks to our lives as well. Um, in John 15, it says, apart from him, we can do nothing, right? And I, and I know a lot of people quote this, but the, word, the Greek word for nothing in there means nothing, like nothing. 
but we deceive ourselves every single day. You understand? So when I first got to South Asia, it was completely different than anything I had experienced, and I was in shock, and I didn't feel like I could do anything. You understand? So I was very desperate for the Lord. I was desperate for other people's help. And what happened is that I prayed, and, and, I, and I went to the Lord. But then after about two years, you know what? I actually felt really confident. I felt like I had this under control. I know how to get a rickshaw. I know how to get on the train. I know how to buy tickets. I know how to pay this. And, and what happened is my desperation for the Lord went down. My desperation for the Lord wasn't even there when I woke up. I was like, oh, I, got, oh, I don't have enough time. And I promise you, if you have lived in the same place and you've been doing the same thing, I bet you feel that temptation very strongly as well. That you maybe think, I wake up and you think, oh, I don't have enough time to spend with the Lord. I've got this. And I just want to tell you today that the foundation and fuel of missions is Jesus. There is nothing that we can do apart from Jesus. And in your life, there is nothing, nothing. You cannot parent without Jesus. You cannot drive your car the way God intends you to drive your car without Jesus. And I promise you, if you, you know, you guys don't have a lot of traffic here. I'll have to say that. But I'm sure you encounter some traffic that maybe uh, frustrates you when you have to do a U-turn or something and there's people in the way. But I would just say, we cannot do anything apart from Christ. And the, the more clearly we can have desperation for the Lord, the more we will seek out his help and, and then we will be filled with him. So let's look at what the IMB reported over this last year. It reported that we were in 122 countries. We saw 21,000 new churches, over 100,000 baptisms, 700,000 plus people heard the gospel. But who gets credit for this? It is not the IMB. The IMB's logo's on here, but Jesus gets all the credit for what has happened on this slide. It is, we don't get any of the credit. I, I want to give you a, a, a story, a joke about this. There was this uh, famous comic where um, this like a strip, a comic strip that you read, and it was talking about how the scientists came to God and they were like, God, we can make man faster than you. We, we, we both have dirt and we'll make man from the dirt, from the dust faster than you can. And so God accepted their, uh, their, their, their challenge. And so then, then, it, then they set it all up and they said, ready, set, go. And they both reached down. And then God said, nah, get your own dirt. You understand? There is nowhere you can go on earth where you find something that, doesn't, that God doesn't have the, the, the authority, the creation. There is nothing. Your very life, right? The fact that you exist at all is all glory to him, all honor to him. He gets all the credit. So how can we say the plane tickets we bought, the house that we lived in, the, the people that we met, they were all made by God. How could we take any credit for it? So in your life, please, if you can't hear anything else from this and don't remember anything else, apart from him, you can do nothing. And apart from him, we on the mission field can do nothing. So please find that desperation for God in your work. So let us look. The next, the next uh, um, alliterated point is the function of missions. So he says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in this area from Jerusalem around to Croatia. What does that mean? What is the function of missions? And this is, I think, where we get so many different answers out there. But let's just look at what Paul did in his work. So if I look here from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, he got to where there was no place left. What do I mean by that? So what he's saying is that he couldn't go anywhere in that whole region without, building a foundation, uh, without somebody else's foundation being there. 
So what did he do over and over? So in his first missionary journey, he left Syria, and he went to Cyprus, and then he went to Antioch and Pisidia, then he went to uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and then went back around. And as he was going, what did he do? He entered new places, he shared the gospel, and then he made disciples of those who believed, and then he planted healthy churches, and then he raised up new leaders, and then he left. So this is, this is kind of the, the picture of that. So he entered new places, he shared the gospel, he made disciples, he planted healthy churches, he developed leaders, and then he exited the partnership. All around the fact that abiding in Christ is the only way you can do anything. Abiding in Christ is central to our missionary work, and I would imagine for you, you need to know that everything you do, abiding is central to your life and to your work. So this is what I would call the function of missions. The function of missions. So does that mean, am I saying that like widow care and orphan care and things like that are not missions? I would say if it is, uh, uh, my friend is less diplomatic than me. He says, if the UN would do your trip, it's not missions. You understand? If the UN would be happy with your trip. So am I saying like orphan care is not missions? Well, is it a part of a holistic strategy to share the gospel and make disciples and plant churches if it is, then yes, that is, that is missions. If it is something that is only providing care for them physically and not trying to reach them spiritually, then I'm afraid that that is ministry. That doesn't make it any, any less of a thing that we should do. But what I'm saying is that there are places in the world that we could go and do that ministry, but then we leave. What they need is local ministers. What the orphans and widows in that place need are local ministers. And how are they going to get local ministers? By church planting efforts. So we don't want to go in and just, and just take care of something, put a Band-Aid on and leave. We want to strike a match that burns for the glory of God, that leads to lots of new people that are able to take care of all those ministries, feeding ministries. And in addition to that is providing spiritual care for them as well. So that's what I would say is the function of mission. So why did I go overseas to the country I'm in? It's to do this effort. I want to see this happen from the very top to the very bottom, from the east to the west of our entire region. So that is the function of missions, as I would say it. And this is actually an IMB graphic. I didn't even make this up, so you can take that. Um, the, the next one is, let's look at what he says here in Romans 20. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So then he quotes the Old Testament. So what does he mean here? He's saying that uh, if he went to any village from Jerusalem to Croatia and went there, that there would already be people there who had a, laid a foundation. And, he, and we know, according to Corinthians, that no one can lay any other foundation than this, Jesus Christ. So there was a foundation of Jesus being laid from Jerusalem to Croatia. And so he was saying, I make it my ambition to go where Christ has not already been named. So the focus for him and the focus I would, I would urge for you to make in missions is the most uh, least reached. The least reached people, the most lost. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's an IMB graphic that we uh, have that shows how many unreached people. So there's two things called unreached people. UPG with just one U, and then there's unreached or unengaged unreached people groups. That's two U's. So this is talking about unreached people group. That means there are less than 2% Christians in that entire population. 
less than 2%. And what does unengaged mean? It means that amongst those people groups, we don't know of any church at all. And we have some of the best research in the entire world. So there's 7,000 unreached people groups, which are 4.5 billion. And then UUPGs are about 3,000 people groups and, and, and over uh, around a billion people. So there are people that have no opportunity to hear about the gospel from anybody who is like them. Can you imagine that? If this city, you know, um, even the Auburn and the Alabama fans and then the occasional Georgia fan, I don't know who you are, but you're in here somewhere. Well, even if all the people who are here, despite being somewhat different and we have different tendencies or you know, I always think it's funny that, like, there'll be two cities right next to each other, and they hate each other, and their football teams hate each other, but in general, they're, like, the most similar people in the entire world, right? Like, they have the most in common in the entire world. Um, but I would say that even here, so all these people in this city, imagine if there were no believers, then how is somebody going to get the gospel to you, right? How could they? There's nobody even that you would know who knows the Lord, who follows the Lord. And so that, that is the situation for many people. That is the situation for millions and millions and millions of people. And that doesn't sit right with me, that there are so many people who have no opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's why we have to make an effort to focus on the least reached. We have to. The easiest places are all taken. The easiest places to reach have all gotten a lot of people but the least reached places still need so many workers. So maybe God's calling you. Maybe God's calling you to go from Dothan to across the world. I'm not even just in telling you to come with me, but maybe I read Romans 10, how will they hear unless they're sent? And I read that when I was 25. I'd been a youth pastor and, and uh, I, I had stepped away from that to save money to go to seminary. And I read that scripture and I just was like, how can I live? And I lived in Pensacola, Florida. So some of you maybe. Uh, vacation there. Uh, but I lived there and I realized in the, in the county I was in, there was about 300,000 people, but maybe about 800 churches. I don't know. Maybe I'm overestimating. But then I thought and I'd heard about places that had millions of people and no church. And I just felt convicted that I had to go. I had to go where there were unreached people. And so maybe God's calling some of you that way because we have to have a focus on the most lost or the least reached. All right. The last part of this scripture I call the finish line of missions, or the finishing the work of beginning, if you will. So he says, I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for so many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So what does he mean by there is no place left, there is no, there's no room left? This is what he means. So the very title of this sermon is Owning the Great Commission. And so what I want to talk to you about is that you cannot... Own the Great Commission hypothetically. There's a lot of people who are, are fans of the Great Commissions, and they try to take responsibility for the Great Commission, but they only do it hypothetically. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you cannot do it. You cannot. It's like if I told you I was a farmer. What would be your first question if I told you I was a farmer? Well, first of all, what do you grow, right? That's what everybody says. But the next one would maybe be like, where's your farm? What if I told you I was a farmer, and then you asked me where my farm was, and I told you I don't know? What would you think? That's kind of, I mean, kids laugh because it's funny. You, what kind of farmer doesn't know where their farm is? But then how about this? Let's take it one step farther. You take me to a farm, and you give me the tools, and I tell you I don't know how to farm. 
you'd think, this guy's not a farmer. He tells these people he's a farmer, but he's not. But I'm here, to, I'm here to tell you, and I may step on a few toes in the room, but many of us treat the Great Commission the same way. You understand? If I, told, if I ask you, where are you making disciples today, and you told me, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm making disciples. What if I ask you, where are you sharing the gospel? And you say, oh, I don't know where I'm sharing the gospel. I just hope it happens. If a farmer told you that, you would think they were a little bit, a little bit crazy, right? You know, a farmer is very, very, he has a lot of planning. They're, farmers are smart. They know, this is my field, I'm going to get seed in every part of this field. And that's what I think disciple makers are supposed to have. I have to know. So what I urge people to say is, you have to take ownership of the Great Commission specifically. Where are you trying to make disciples? And what discipleship encompasses is what I put on the map, entry. Who are you? I say entry is always the que- answering the question, how do I get in front of a lost person? How do you get in front of a lost person? You probably know a lot of them. You probably have some friends. You probably have some coworkers. And then what do you need to do? You need to share the gospel. And when you share the gospel, how do you do that? I'm sure Taylor and many others here can help you. And, and I always say that when I bring people onto my team, we have a very heavy modeling culture in our team. So if I tell, I don't want anybody to be a salesperson where I say, here, come, I'm going to teach you how to sell, and then you're going to go sell, and I'm just going to sit back and drink coffee. No, no. I think the, the method that Jesus modeled to us was that he went out, he taught them and gave them competence, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, with evangelism, you cannot give confidence in the classroom. You understand? Like, you could know 50 different ways to share the gospel and not use any of them. Because you have no confidence. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not trying to give anybody uh, guilt in this room, which sometimes uh, comes up whenever I talk about this, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. You can have a free conscience that God is for you, and he wants you to be one of the workers in his field. That's why he said in Luke 10, too, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it used to be back in the day, whenever you had harvest time, everybody helped each other. And that's what we want this church to be, a harvest center where people are going out and giving each other the competence of how to share the gospel and how to make disciples, but also demonstrating by modeling in front of them so that you can give them confidence in how to share the gospel and make disciples. I need to see, I, w- I came back from uh, being overseas for four years, and I went to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I had a guy who was doing No Place Left stuff, and we were knocking on doors, and I almost felt like I needed him to model and give me some confidence, because I was confident in my context, but not in his context, and so he modeled for me, and that gave me confidence. I say the only person who didn't need modeling was Jesus Christ, so if you feel like you need someone to, to show you and give you confidence in sharing the gospel, just say you're in good company, because it's all of us except for Jesus. So what I want to urge you today is to not walk out this door, and just like the IMB doesn't want you to give us just your money and your people, I don't want just your money to go to missions. I want you to pray that the Lord would send out more workers in Dothan, Alabama, and then for you to be the answer to that prayer request. Because I promise you, there are people in this county of 100,000 people who are never going to go to church, and somebody has to go to them. Somebody has to go to them to share the gospel. I forget the gospel all the time. I have five kids. Legalism sounds great. You get what you deserve, right? 
I have to have people remind me that it is by grace we are saved. And that is nothing that I have done that has allowed me to be saved, but it is just the grace of Christ. And that is good news. And so in this county of 100,000 people, so what's funny is that the place where I live, it's 32 million people, but the, but the district the, or the, the territory is 20 million people, and it is smaller than Houston County. Just to give you an idea, smaller than Houston County by 10 square miles, and it is uh, 200 times more populated. So every one person you see out here, imagine 200 people, and that's how many people we have. And the vast majority have never, ever, ever heard the gospel. And so ownership of the Great Commission is a very, very heartfelt need for me. Because think about your age, the age you are right now. There are tens of thousands of people your age and many born on the same day you were born and they've never heard the gospel in their entire life. Now, How does that hit your heart? Nobody is going to go to them and nobody has gone to them. And so I know that we need more laborers in his harvest fields. And so what I pray is that uh, my sermon helps you because this is what it looks like when I look out over my city. Right? It's a little bit different than Dothan, Alabama. This is only just like a very small portion. So it is very, very populated and that gives me a very big urgency to, to, to make sure that whenever I'm interacting with Christians, what, what I don't want is for them to make me the boss, and I don't want to make them the boss. I want us to both, like Philippians 1.5, from our koinonia in the gospel from the very first day we met, I want them, us to both agree, Jesus is the boss, he's told us to get the gospel here, let's go together. And that's what I hope you find in this church. Not that that person you're talking to is the boss or that you're the boss, that Jesus is your boss. And let's go and do this work together because I promise you, there are thousands of people lost in Dothan and Houston County, and they are never going to come to church. And we strategically have to work together because it takes about 16 months from a church plant to go from a go and tell church to a come and hear church. But God has not just called us to come in here. This is one of our tools, but it is not our only tool. The other tool we need to have is that we are actively engaging people and sharing the gospel. So I hope that doesn't step on too many toes, but the right toes it does need to step on because I believe that if this church owns the Great Commission specifically and we're all in unison, then people will come to faith in this county. People will be baptized, transferred from darkness to light. And that's what we want because we, we know that the world's greatest problem is lostness and that the only solution is the gospel. So we are desiring for you to pray with us. Uh, here's a picture of our family from earlier this year. Um, they're a little bit smaller than they were in the other picture. Uh, yeah, so they're having a lot of fun. We look forward to getting back to our country in February. You can pray for us as we go. Um, but I do want to urge you again. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100%, none of it stays in America. All of it goes to reaching the unreached all over the world. So uh, I hope that you join with us monetarily, yes, but uh, much more than that. I, I, I ask that you pray for the lost. The only thing that changes my heart in my country, because sometimes it's very easy to dehumanize people. It's very easy to not have, like, be very numb to lostness around you. And the only prescription I can give you is praying for them. If you pray for them, uh, then God will change your heart. And I tell people there's three things that I ask people to pray. Pray for an open door, that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. Pray for an open mouth, because most of the time we pray that our mouth stays closed and we never have to share the gospel in our life. That's the number one goal. But I ask you to 
pray that God would open your mouth. And then as you pray it, I pray that you're rooting for it. And the third one, pray that God opens their heart. So an open door, an open mouth, and an open heart. And so as we, as we do this work in our country, I pray that God brings harvest here. And I pray that you all are part of the work that he is doing all around the world by his grace alone. So thank you for letting me be here today and preach. I think I went a little bit over. You can still beat the Methodist to the restaurant if you hurry. But let me pray for you, and we'll sing. So God, we come to you and thanking you for the mission, the ministry of the gospel that you have laid out here in Romans 15. God, I pray that just as Paul said, there was no room left from Jerusalem to Illyricum. God, that I pray that that would be true of, uh, of Alabama, and I pray that it would be true of Dothan. I pray that it would be true of the neighborhoods these men and women and children live in. God, that they would take responsibility and own your great commission specifically. God, I pray that they would not be fans, but participants. And I pray for the country and the region that I'm in, God, that from the top to the bottom, from the east to the west, there would be no place left that we could go without encountering the foundation of Jesus being laid by local believers who are owning the great commission to every people in place. So God, we do this all, not for our names and our glory. Our names can be forgotten. We do not mind that at all, God. We just want your name to be proclaimed and the knowledge of your glory to cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. So God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.